back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Oh, how one game can change someone's mood. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 28th day of the month of November. Hope you all are having a great day. I had a great weekend, had a enjoyable, safe, happy, fun Thanksgiving with your family, friends, and uh, loved ones as we took the time to be thankful for everything we had in this crazy thing called life. And what I was very thankful for, besides you know, the good health of myself, my family, my friends, anybody that chooses to give a damn about this podcast and give up time in their life on a weekly basis to watch or listen to me, is that the football team I root for, the New York Jets, has got a set that they've got a little bit of testicular fortitude. They've got guts to do what not many organizations would do. Not many organizations in sports would admit to being wrong or admit to a decision that they've made not being the correct one. But that's a decision that they made last week when it applies to the quarterback position. Because you remember, I sat here this time a week ago, annoyed, bothered, you know, all around pissed off on the play, not just the play of Zach Wilson, but the attitude of Zach Wilson, the lack of accountability of Zach Wilson, the immaturity of Zach Wilson, especially coming at a time when You know, it's one thing when the Jets were bad last year and you could put up with this, tolerate this, the growing pains coming up with a young quarterback. But at a time where the Jets are surprising people, and maybe surprise is too strong because you look at the talent that they have on the field, both offensively and defensively especially. But at a time when the Jets are having a good year, are in contention for a playoff spot, You can't let one guy come ahead of the other 52 men in that locker room because that's how a locker room gets destroyed. That's how a locker room gets divided. That's how, you know, you just lose your control over a group of men. And Robert Sala, along with Joe Douglas, a a decision like what they made is not just made by one man. It takes a group of people. That's why you knew something was up last week when on Monday, Sala was about two hours late to meeting with the media on Monday afternoon, was two and a half hours late 
for his weekly radio spot. Wondering what's going on here. And when he came out late Monday and said that he was non-committal to Zach starting on Wednesday, that's when the wheels started getting going here that you started thinking, all right, something's going to happen here. And, you know, more times than not, when teams do this, when teams put out these kind of statements, these kind of ideas, you take it with, you know, for granted, or you take it um, saying, all right, you can talk about it, but we want to see your actions behind it. You the, the term I was looking for is you take it with a grain of salt because they took Zach Wilson with the second overall pick in 2021 ahead of Justin Fields, who's been balling out for the last two months, ahead of Trey Lance, who who knows if he's ever going to see the football field, and ahead of Mac Jones, who, while he's not physically the most impressive quarterback in the world he's been competent enough for the Patriots to be in playoff contention each of the last two years but you know I figured with this they were going to use it as a motivational tactic to say all right Zach you're going to start on on Sunday but you're on a very short lease but I was pleasantly surprised when Wednesday afternoon They came out and announced that Mike White is going to be starting against the Chicago Bears. And what was even more pronounced, what was even more of a statement behind it, was announcing that Zach Wilson was going to be the third string quarterback on the depth chart and be on the inactive list. Because let's say something happens to Mike White against the Bears. Then, oh, you're right back to Wilson. Then, what did you really prove? You know, say Mike White would have got hurt late first quarter, early second quarter. You'd be going right back to the guy that you benched, and who knows if he really even learned anything. Who knows if he even had time to process things. This gave him the chance to have a full reset. Sit there. Watch someone else run this offense. A Someone who, let's be honest with ourselves here, Mike White, in the year and a half that Mike LaFleur has been the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets, Mike White has looked the best, has looked the most comfortable of any of these quarterbacks, as well as Joe Flacco played. As much as, you know, Josh Johnson looked competent in garbage time against the Colts last year. Mike White has had the best performances with the Mike LaFleur offense. And that first one against the Bengals, that was at a time where they really did not have that many weapons. It was Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, and say a prayer. And he, you know, that they always say that the backup quarterback is the most popular guy amongst a fan base and a locker room. But in this case, it's true. You look at how not just the players on this team, but the fans of this team rally around this guy 
when he takes the field. Rally around him, you know, speak so highly of him. You know, that's why the the, the saying, that's why there's t-shirts being made just saying, oh, he's Mike effing white. And you know, some, just something about this guy. Maybe it's, you know, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Maybe it's he credits his teammates more. Or maybe it's just he goes out there and takes what's given to him. He's not, you know, going out there looking for the kill shot, going for the home run shot every time. He listened to Robert Sala's words of how, oh, it's okay to play boring football. Taking what's given to you, the little dump off passes to a running back or a, a check down to a tight end, a throw to the tight end toward the sideline, which he had a couple of times yesterday with Conklin and Uzama. Or the, the fact that you know, he's not looking for home run shots to Garrett Wilson or Elijah Moore, who rediscovered himself yesterday. These these guys realizing that they're phenomenal athletes, let me just get them the football and they'll do the rest. You saw yesterday, Moore, even though it didn't turn into a scoring opportunity there, had a 42-yard breakaway catch-and-run situation. Garrett Wilson, I know it came at the expense of Eddie Jackson getting uh, hurt there, and you, know, you hope for his sake he's all right, but had a br- big breakaway touchdown uh, yesterday that gave the Jets the lead and that was kind of you know the, the turning point and a point where you felt uh, looking at it like oh the Bears got no shot in in coming back at this it, as soon as it got to 14 10 I'm watching this I'm feeling very comfortable in this a because I'm looking at Trevor Simeon out there not Justin Fields knowing that he has no mobility uh, whatsoever. And B, reading the reports as I was on the train heading to MetLife Stadium uh, yesterday, that during pregame warm-ups, he had actually injured his oblique and that there was some thought that Nathan Peterman, of all people, was going to start this game. And this game would have been even more out of hand had Peterman started then Simeon Simeon at least kept them competent for a half before the Jets defense finally woke up but hey that you know even as the Jet defense kind of struggled missed some tackles early in uh, this game you know the let the Bears have some life their first couple of drives finally it was the offense backing up the defense you know, so many times this year it's been Outside of uh, the game against the Cleveland Browns, it's been the defense that has been bailing out the offense. Where, you know, especially when Zach was starting, he wasn't doing a lot of impressive things. wasn't turning the football over much outside of uh, the Patriots game, but he wasn't doing anything that was having you say, "Wow, that." That's awesome to see. The offense is really carrying things here. No, the defense has been what's led the way to the Jets being six and four going into yesterday. Now seven and four. But finally, you get the offense to back them up, get them to carry their full weight. And why is that? 
because you had competence at the quarterback position. Listen, I'm not about to sit here and tell you all that Mike White is the long-term franchise quarterback for this team, where he's going to lead the Jets for the next 10 to 15 years, give them chance after chance at being a Super Bowl contender. Hell, I'm not even saying that he is going to, you know, get the Jets to a Super Bowl this year. But if the Jets want to make the playoffs this year, which I know they want to, and every single Jet fan living and breathing on this planet wants to see them do, the best opportunity they have at doing that is with Mike Bleepin' White as their quarterback. Because with this defense, God willing, they all remain healthy throughout the season. With this defense playing the way that they have played, whether it be at home or on the road, doesn't matter. The sky is the limit for this Jets team if they just get competence. Competence. That's that's all I'm asking for. We're not asking for MVP caliber, all pro, pro bowl level. We're not asking him to be Aaron Rodgers. We're asking him to be competent. And that's what Mike White brings to the table. He has a sense of assurity about himself, a sense of maturity, you know, spent all the time praising his teammates yesterday. That's why after yesterday's performance, the second time in four NFL starts, he's had 300 plus passing yards and at least three touchdowns. You're seeing teammates of him, teammates of his come running up, crowding him, celebrating him Pam Oliver wasn't even able to finish her post-game interview with him on the field because the guys were so jacked up have you ever seen that with Zach Wilson have you ever seen guys raving glowing about Zach outside of uh, the field or during post-game press conferences I haven't and this is coming from somebody that wanted the Jets to select Zach Wilson when they weren't able to get Trevor Lawrence. But so far, you know, between his play and his immaturity and his poor attitude, I've been proven wrong on that. And that's the worst thing. It's bad and you know, it's bad enough if you if you, you know, stink, if if you're just not that good. We can accept that if you hold yourself accountable. I mean, take for example his predecessor, Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, who never had any weapons to work with outside of you know, Robbie Anderson for a year or two. Never had you know, the kind of offensive skill players around him and always had a rotating door in and out as far as offensive linemen are concerned you know, compared to what Zach Wilson and now Mike White have to work with. But did you ever hear... You know, Sam Darnold, you know, lack accountability. Did you ever hear him not take responsibility upon himself when the time called for it? No. He acted like a pro all the way around. That's why, you know, even to this day with him not being on our team, I still root for him. I was happy that he uh, defeated the the Broncos yesterday and looked uh, all right in his performance. And going to get a shot going forward here with the Panthers, hopefully for the rest of the season. Take cues from him 
Zach, if you ever, and who knows if he's ever going to be the Jets' starting quarterback again. You know, hopefully Mike White, nothing bad happens to him. But if, now the, if Zach Wilson gets the chance to be the starting quarterback again, learn to act like a pro, learn to act professional, and you know, just take what's given to you when it comes to this offense. And when you aren't able to do that, accept responsibility for your poor play. Now, I mean, yesterday there was yesterday was a miserable day weather-wise. If you go on my social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, you'll see that I'm absolutely drenched at MetLife Stadium. Hell, I'm surprised I'm not sick today. I'm surprised I'm not hacking up a lung, you know, you know, the, with a high fever, sneezing to all end because it was from the moment I walked into the building to the moment I walked out, it was a downpour. I was soaking wet head to toe and I didn't give a damn. Why? Because there was an energy. I was along with everybody doing the the clapping going, Mike White, Mike White. There, There was just an energy that this guy gave this team. As I said, I don't know what it it leads to this season. I don't know what it leads to long term. I'm not even, you know, we'll look at Mike White being a pending free agent when the, the season comes to an end. I, I'd love, I would absolutely love for that to be a problem for this Jet team to have where they have to now pay this guy coming out of nowhere to be their quarterback for, you know, at least the next couple of years. And if that becomes the case, it means the Jets are winning. It means the Jets are relevant, that they're in contention. Like I said, all he has to do is be competent. You get competency out of the quarterback position with the weapons they have on offense, the Mike LaFleur offense can work. And with that defense, who knows? Who knows where it could take them? Now, yeah, they got a tough schedule coming down the stretch here. You you know me, I'm one game at a time kind of mindset, but you look at it. The the six games they have remaining at Minnesota, at Buffalo, home against Detroit, a Thursday night matchup against uh, the Jaguars who are feisty in their own right. Then you you go to Seattle and you pl- and then you go to Miami on the final week of the season. That's as toughest remaining schedule as you're going to have. I think I saw before, as far as record-wise is concerned, it's the fifth most difficult remaining uh, strength of schedule in uh, the NFL. If you want to get through that, if you want to put yourself in the best possibility, the best chance to end this playoff drought that the Jets have been dealing with for the last... 12 years, then you do it with Mike White as your quarterback. You do it with this guy back there who has added energy to that room, added energy to those players, added energy to this fan base. And I cannot tell you how much I respect the way he's handling it, how he's being a pro, 
but just the guts and the gall of both Robert Sala and Joe Douglas because this was their first ever draft pick as a as a pairing. You guys know high draft picks uh, at the quarterback position, admitting failure to them. And you know Zach's still only twenty three. We'll see how things go in the future. But already benching that kid after a year and a half shows that they have a pulse of this team, this fan base, and care about winning. Care about putting this best, their best step forward, their best foot forward in winning games for this team more so than proving they were right when it comes to a kid who both physically and clearly mentally is not ready to be an NFL starting quarterback. All right, I got a lot to get to for the next about 40, 45 minutes or so on this podcast. Give you some thoughts on the Thanksgiving games, mixing some college football. Uh, we'll talk about Odell Beckham, some some things that interest me here along the way in uh, week 13. Even, you know, who else, who knows what else could uh, pop up along the way in uh, this podcast. So a lot I want to talk about this week. I'm so glad all of you could join me, could be along for the ride on this podcast. So, hey, as I say each and every single week, put your feet up, sit back, relax, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. back to football in a second here, but I want to touch back on Thanksgiving in a rare moment where we don't keep it sports. Because as great as Thanksgiving is, to me, the best meal you're going to have all year long, and I dare someone to debate me on this. I I dare someone to tell me I'm wrong. The best meal you're going to have all year long is not Thanksgiving dinner. As great as that is, Thanksgiving dinner is almost the pregame warm-up for what's to come. It's the leftovers that are the important thing when it comes to Thanksgiving because you treat Thanksgiving dinner, even though you got all this food in front of you, you look at it and you say, all right, what goes with what? What is going to taste phenomenal? Um, together when it comes to the leftovers whether you take you know some of the turkey and make a sandwich with stuffing and some mashed potatoes or something whether you like the ham and the mac and cheese and mac and cheese has actually become a a fixture now in the Rosansky household when it comes to Thanksgiving so I was kind of just I'm looking the table, I'm scouting I'm seeing all right Saturday night into Sunday when I start having the leftovers, what goes together? And and as well, today is probably the last day that you can do it. You get to Tuesday after Thanksgiving, you're really stretching it then at this point. So get hopefully get all the leftovers out of the way by the end of Monday night. 
But along the way with the food on Thanksgiving, we got some great football. Because normally, you know, I do this list every year, a list of things that I'm not thankful for. And half of them always turn out to be sports related. And one of them that I put on the list this year was the fact that each and every single year we get both the Lions and Cowboys playing home games on Thanksgiving. One of those traditions in sports I just seemingly don't understand. It's like the Cincinnati Reds always playing at home on opening day of the baseball season. I don't don't understand why it's a thing, but supposedly it's always been a thing. But this year, both of those teams have earned the right to be on Thanksgiving. Even with the Lions not likely to make the playoffs, after their 1-6 start, they've gotten things going. They've been a competitive team. They've been a functional team as long as you know, Jarrett Goff is not turning the football over left and right. And they gave the Buffalo Bills everything that they could handle on uh, Thursday afternoon. You know, it, it had to be a, kind of a sense of deja vu for the Bills considering they're playing – It's rare that you play in the same stadium on the road twice in a week span. Sometimes you'll see teams come to MetLife and play the Jets and Giants on back-to-back weeks, but never something like this where you have a team playing in a building that's not theirs twice in a five-day span against two different teams, and one of the teams doesn't even... uh, play there regularly, but hey, the, the Bills took care of business the last week, going 2-0 and in Ford Field. And the most important part of what we've seen with the Buffalo Bills these last two games is they have developed versatility in their offense. They have developed you know, their offense into being multifaceted because as great as Allen is, and as awesome as the weapons that he has around him with Diggs, with uh, you know Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox, you know and company, you need to be able to run the football in this sport, especially in the playoffs, where a lot of the time you know you're not going to be playing games in the most advantageous weather. You're not going to get to play every game in either. Florida, or California. You're going to have to play some games in some awful weather situations. And so being able to run the football when maybe it's windy out, maybe when uh, your uh, attack through the air is not going to work in that situation, as we've seen at times with the weather in uh, Buffalo, No, it's very important that they get that ground game going. And more than just, oh, Allen taking off, calling his own number there. Because you don't want him to continue taking as many hits as he's taken or getting contact at the rate that he's been receiving it over his career. Especially when, you know, I know it's been a couple of weeks since we talked about it. Who knows what the status of that right arm of uh, Josh Allen's is? Who knows how his elbow is actually uh, doing there? So, 
with there still, you know, being potentially some hairiness with uh, that. We haven't gotten, we've never gotten a full explanation on what was going on with his elbow. But with that still potential lingering of doubt, you don't want him taking as many hits. And you got to get these running backs going. And they were able to do that. Plus, they were able to capitalize on you know, the Lions making mistakes. Like I said, they were game for this. They pushed it right to the wire, forced the Bills to have to make a field goal at the buzzer to win this game. But there were too many mistakes here by the Lions, whether it be you know, early on, Williams fumbling in Buffalo territory. Then you get uh, the safety when uh, Ed Oliver sacked Goff in the end zone, as well as a, a missed field goal there. When you're a team like the Lions, who's on the up-and-coming but still does not have the, the level of talent to beat the big boys on a week-in, week-out basis. You've got to be damn near perfect. And now now the Bills, you know, that there's no rest for the weary here for them because they're right back at it this coming Thursday when they go up to New England to play the Patriots. The Patriots who are coming off of a loss on Thanksgiving night in their own right, losing to the Vikings. The Vikings... You knew the Vikings were going to be motivated because they got embarrassed by the Cowboys in week 11. There's no other way to say getting blown out 40 to three in your own building is shameful. You almost, you almost wish you had your buy and you could tuck your head under a rock and not have to see the rest of the world for two weeks. But the best thing that could happen to them was getting right back out there. And also allowing Kirk Cousins to show the world that, hey, I can play in games that are outside of the 1 o'clock time slot on Sunday afternoon. Because that that's always been the big bugaboo about him. That's always been the big yeah but when it comes to Kirk Cousins. 1 o'clock on Sunday, as good as anybody. But you put him in the four twenty-five time slot. You put him in prime time. He's gonna struggle at times. But he was on his a game on uh, Thursday night. Had one bad throw deep uh, uh, that got picked off by Jones. But other than that, he was able to get this Vikings offense going. Was able on a night when they really could not run the football too well, was able to match the uh, Patriots. I I was surprised how much the Patriots um, in their own right were throwing the football down the field. And I know there's a lot of Patriots players, fans, yada, yada, that cover the team whining, bitching, and moaning today about the Hunter Henry spot now, where we thought midway through the third quarter that he had a, a touchdown that was going to uh, put the, the Patriots ahead and force the hand of the Vikings to continue matching them. But on review, it was overturned, deemed an incompletion, and the Patriots had to settle for a field goal. And 
Hunter Henry is still bitching and moaning about it to uh, this uh, very moment. And what what I don't understand is, you know, he had the football in the end zone, but for, for some reason he decided to stretch the football out as he was falling to the ground, and that led to the incompletion because he had not made an initial football move. He had not made any steps with it. He essentially caught the the ball airborne and then decided to stretch toward the end zone, and that's allowed the defender to uh, knock his grip a little bit and lead to the incompletion uh, there. Now, all I will say is, tough Patriots, we've all had to sit around for the last 20 years and see you guys get every single last freaking call go your way. It's about time, you know, the shoe goes on the other foot and you guys have a call or two going against you. So Bill Belichick can cry all he wants to the rules committee, can cry all he wants to the league front office. No one's feeling any sympathy for you. No one's going to be looking to do you guys any favors anytime soon. Now, of course, those two outcomes were important for Jets fans in this area. The game that was in importance to the other fan base was, of course, the Giants playing on Thanksgiving. And now it's two losses in a row for the New York Giants. And you're starting to get concerned here. While they fought their asses off, were competitive the entire way against the Dallas Cowboys The problem here is you're seeing a battle of nutrition for the New York Giants where they've lost guys both offensively and defensively led by uh, the loss of Wondell Robinson last week. And you're looking at this team and as fun as they've been to watch the first few months of this season, you're starting to see things come right back to earth. And while you know they were able to keep the Cowboys offense in check for the first half, their defense uh looked pretty strong in the first half of this game. Now they were not able to match offensively the Dallas Cowboys in the second half. Dallas came out with three consecutive uh touchdown drives while the Giants turned the ball over on downs twice and didn't score again until there was about eight seconds left in the game with uh, the Richie James touchdown. And I don't blame them for going for those two fourth downs. You know, some people could say, oh, it's desperate going for fourth down in your own uh, territory. But when you look at how this offense is beaten up. When you look at the fact that you know, teams have been able to calm down Saquon Barkley in the last couple of games, you've got to take chances. You've got to take risks. You, know, you don't have the level of talent that the Dallas Cowboys have. So you've got to out-coach the Dallas Cowboys. You've got to out-scheme the Dallas Cowboys. And even for as mediocre as Mike McCarthy 
has been as the Dallas Cowboys head coach. The Giants were just not able to overcome all the threats that Dallas presents offensively. You know, they were able to get uh, a couple of interceptions early on, um, but only turn those interceptions into three points. And when you're such a big underdog like that, when you're struggling with so many uh, people injured on your roster, you can't, you know, let those scoring opportunities go by the wayside. And now, uh, if I'm a Giant fan, I'm concerned because you look at this, they have the most difficult schedule coming down the stretch here. When you look at, they have four division games against the Commanders and the Eagles. Well, the Commanders have now won you know, six of their last seven, uh, five out of six since Taylor Heineke has uh, took over as the quarterback. And while he does nothing impressive, well, there's nothing truly over-the-top impressive about the Commander's offense, although we'll see what the addition of Brian Robinson back to that offense does. A lot like Mike White with the Jets, there's something about Taylor Heineke just an infectious energy and just a joy for the game that he brings to the table that has risen everybody's game up with uh, that Washington uh, football team. And then you look at, you know, you got to play the Eagles twice. They just ran for almost 400 yards against uh, the Packers last night. And you've got to play that team twice in the final six weeks, mixed in there with playing the Vikings on Christmas Eve, the, the only real gimme, if you want to call it, is when on New Year's Day you get to play uh, uh, the Indianapolis Colts, and we'll see where they are in things when it comes that. But you look at right now, the Giants are in a, in a spot where they're battling two other teams for essentially one spot because you figure the Eagles are going to win the East. The Vikings have a stranglehold on the North. Uh, the 49ers have began to pull away in the West, and we'll see what happens in the South. I'll talk about that in a couple of uh, minutes here. But it's going to be between the Giants, Commanders, and Seattle for uh, two spots in the postseason. They've lost to Seattle already. And now they got to deal with this commander's team twice in the final six weeks. So, and with all these injuries piling up, it is a going to be a very difficult run to the finish line for the Giants. I hope they come out of it in a positive way because it would be awesome for fans of MetLife Stadium football for both teams to make the playoffs this year. And while the the road for the Jets is more difficult when it comes to, you know, the number of teams they they've got to match up against. The Giants, their own in-house issues may be what costs them in the end. All right, gonna take another break here. Come back on the other side and look at what else went down in Week Twelve. Damn, this schedule is flying by. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back.
I made reference earlier to the matchup in Carolina yesterday between the Broncos and the Panthers. And you've wondered, when it comes to the Denver Broncos, how long it would be before finally one of his teammates would get fed up with how Russell Wilson and this offense were lacking any support for this team. Well, it was in the second half yesterday. Mike Purcell got in his face and shouting at him, let's go, come on, wake the you-know-what up. Trying to, I'm sure he said a lot worse. He said during the postgame press conferences, postgame time with the media, they was just trying to pump him up. But you got to imagine that team is annoyed. They're uh, outright uh, pissed off with the way that they are playing this year. They they have, you know, quite frankly been you know, one of the biggest disappointments in this sport so far. If, if you're ranking disappointing teams, now you start you start with the Broncos. You probably probably got to put the Raiders in there because remember before the season we uh, looked at the AFC West and thought maybe that could be the greatest division of all time. You throw in the mix there uh, the likes of New Orleans. I wouldn't exactly put the Rams in there just because they've had a ton of injuries playing without their quarterback. Now their best two wide receivers. And they're coming off of a Super Bowl title. So even though this isn't exactly a Super Bowl hangover, there have been true reasons for why they've stunk. And you definitely mix in uh, the Packers and the Buccaneers when it comes to those disappointing teams. And the weird thing is the Buccaneers can still make the playoffs. That's how disgustingly bad the NFC South has been. But even as anemic as you know below average as this buccaneers offense has looked at times they could still make uh, the postseason now the problem is you watch yesterday a there were times tom brady was bouncing the football especially to mike evans and now that's not something we're used to seeing from uh, tom but also now he's lost his best offensive tackle, his safety net and protector in Tristan Wurz to a knee injury. And there's still no update on how bad this could be. But you saw immediately after he left the game, Tom took a sack that gave the Browns an opportunity to get the football back in overtime and the lead to the walk-off touchdown by uh, Nick Chubb, you know, set up by uh, that nice pass by Jacoby Brissett, who, you know, you feel good for the guy. This is another one of those guys that has jumped around, just kind of seeking a, an opportunity to play. No one's ever really fully committed to him being their guy. And now he he gets this... Nice moment in what, in all likelihood, is his final start for the Cleveland Browns because 
Hey, the circus comes back to town next week in Deshaun Watson. I mean, it's going to be a circus there in Cleveland all week. The first time the media really gets to see him, really gets to talk to him now as an active NFL player in almost two years. And we'll see what kind of rust he has. And how ironic is it that he's going back to Houston to play his old team. Now, that's why I've looked at that suspension from the beginning and thought it, it was kind of a joke. Not the, the length of it, because he should have gotten in the longer, but the date and time when they were going to be allowing him back. His first game, but really? You don't think that we don't, don't think that's anything more than a coincidence that his first game back is against his former team? Come on, we're, we're not that stupid. But you look on the AFC side of things yesterday. Yesterday was a you know a telling day on a lot of fronts. For one, the Miami Dolphins offense just continues to roll. Now it does help when you're going against the Houston Texans and the Texans. You can't even say the Texans are tanking because I'm I'm sure Lovey Smith would never agree to something like that. They're just awful. They can't play football. They don't have competitive players on that roster. They have no one worth your time being interested in on that team right now. And you now they they showed a little bit of respect for themselves after trailing thirty nothing at halftime to put uh, some sort of a fight together. But Tua and the crew just went out there and took care of business. And he's been. Great since coming back from the concussion. A, showing no signs of uh, any concussion hangover or anything. But you look at his numbers since then. He's completing about 70% of his passes, averaging north of 300 yards per game, has 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. Now, if not for the way Patrick Mahomes is playing, even though Patrick kind of struggled for a while there against the Rams yesterday, Tua would be right at the top of a lot of people's MVP ballot with the fact that the Dolphins are in first place in the division right now, have the second-best record in the AFC, the way he's playing, and showing that with weapons, he is a good NFL quarterback. And that's the thing, that these young quarterbacks, it's one thing when you're a veteran in your, the second half of your career, you can almost make the weapons. We've seen a lot of guys, once they have experience and um, been through it all when it comes to situations, you can almost overcome having a lack of weapons on your team. But when you're a young guy, you need talent at the wide receiver position to get you ahead, to build that confidence, build that moxie, build that mindset that, hey, yeah, I can do this in this sport. And that's what having Waddle, that's what having Tyreek Hill there for Tua Tangovola to uh, build this offense with has done for him. Now, you look at the AFC North right now, and the AFC North, it looks like it's going to come down to the wire between the Bengals and the Ravens. The Bengals, 
know, took care of business uh, yesterday against the Titans. The Titans, you know, were never able to get uh, Derrick Henry truly going and it got in their own way a whole lot. I mean, that for one, can someone tell them that T. Higgins was on the field and and that maybe you should double team him when you realize that he's the only true deep threat that Joe Burrow has right now with Jamar Chase still out. I mean, T. Higgins is still running all over uh, that Tennessee secondary. And then, you know, you think maybe the Titans will have one last shot late and they commit a uh, unnecessary roughness uh, penalty because they lined up over the snapper on a field goal attempt and that that allowed the Bengals to kneel out the football. But the story here is more about the AFC North and the, the, the fight that the Bengals have to overcome the Ravens in this division because they've got a difficult task ahead in their own right. Their final six games, yeah, four of them are at home. But look at this final six-game stretch. You're going to be playing the Chiefs next Sunday. Then you got to play the Cleveland Browns, and they're going to be the Cleveland Browns led by Deshaun Watson, not Jacoby Brissett. Follow that up with a meeting down in Tampa against Brady and the Bucs, which that looks like your easiest game remaining on this schedule, considering you've got the Patriots as well up in New England. And then you've got home matchups against the Bills and the Ravens to close things out. Meanwhile, the Ravens, their schedule, they get the Broncos. They're at the Steelers. They've got the Browns in Cleveland. But then they've got games against the Falcons and the Steelers, two teams who are really going nowhere. I mean, I'm not even sure why. The the Falcons are interesting but I'm not even sure why uh, they're still playing Marcus Mariota. If not for the fact that they, the uh, division has allowed them to remain in contention, Mariota would have been benched a while ago. And the Steelers will will see who even plays for them in Week 17, or if guys are going to just start, you know, faking injuries and calling an early off season. But it's going to come down to it for these two teams that final matchup in week 18. And the big problem here for the Baltimore Ravens is they don't know how to close out games. You know, I thought that they were over this. I thought they got over this hurdle of not being able to finish games late. But you look at what they did yesterday in Jacksonville against the Jaguars. For one, you know, the, the the Jaguars you know, just played with a you know kind of screw it mindset, just saying, hey, we know we're the underdogs here. We know that uh, we don't exactly completely match up with them uh, talent-wise or experience-wise. But let's just go out there and let it hang loose. Meanwhile, sometimes it feels like with the Baltimore Ravens that they're so so tightly wound or so, you know, 
lacking enjoyment at time in playing football that they get in their own heads. And you know, some as great as Lamar Jackson is, you know, and I thought earlier this year that he was setting himself up to have an Aaron Judge like year where he puts himself in position to ask for whatever he wants in contract talks at the end of the season. Lamar Jackson has got to start, you know, thinking with his brain rather than his athleticism and start going with a more of, I talk about it all the time, the kiss theory. Keep it simple, stupid, because you're watching him play and he had 12 incompletions on first and second down yesterday. He's trying to take home run shot after home run shot. And he doesn't have those kind of guys. It's not like, you know, Odell Beckham is going to suddenly walk through the door and play for uh, the Baltimore Ravens. They don't even seem like they're a team that he's considering right now. But he's got to get out of his own way because he probably is as big a reason as any is why they um, have blown so many late leads um, coming down the uh, or going through this season so far. Now, mixing that along with some of the turnovers that gave the Jaguars life. I mean, you give an underdog a little bit of life, you give them some belief in themselves, sometimes they're going to walk through that door of opportunity. And that's what both Hay and Gus Edwards did. I mean, the weird part in that game was, of course, the what we thought was initially a a third down conversion that the refs then brought the football back and said, no, it's fourth down. And he winds up fumbling on the next play leading to a touchdown drive by Lawrence. But no, it should not have, this game should not have come down to Justin Tucker attempting a 67 yard field goal at the buzzer. Now, now, Lamar and company, if Lamar would have just been smarter with the football and taken the checkdowns rather than going for home run kill shots on first and second down, we're probably sitting here talking about the Ravens as the toughest challenger for the Chiefs in the AFC, more so than we're looking at you know, whoever it is to come out of the AFC East. Now, when it comes to... The NFC, real quick, even though the Vikings are the team with the second-best record in this uh, conference, to me, the biggest threat to the Eagles in in the NFC has got to be the San Francisco 49ers. Even with as well as the Cowboys offense has played recently and out the Vikings still with the chance at potential home field advantage. The Vikings have something that you can't teach. They have a defense that whether you're at home or on the road, it's going to travel. It, you know, that defense is just ferocious at all three levels. They are, they are in a lot of ways, a more experienced version of the NFC's New York Jets, if if we're going to be uh, correct about that or, you know, describe it like that. You have a quarterback that 
He's not going to make a lot of over-the-top home run shots, but he's just going to be competent. He's not going to turn the football over. The players like playing for him in Jimmy Garoppolo and a defense at all three levels. There's not a scrub out there. They're, they've got great pass rushers. Their linebacker core is as good as anybody in the league, and they can cover with anybody in, in the sport. And that might be their lone, lone, uh, a weak link, if you want to call it that. But even they don't get threatened much because of the fact that you know the, this pass rush has been so great, led by uh, Nick Bosa and company. But you know they'll be going against the Eagles at some point in this postseason. And the Eagles, now that their ground game could potentially get somewhat slowed down by uh, this 49ers defense. I don't think they're going to rush for you know, 360 again like they did uh, against the Packers. But if you're asking me, you say, all right, who do you have the most confidence in that can go into Philadelphia or in a bad weather night in January and come away with the upset victory and end it the Eagles hopes at another Super Bowl championship. It's got to be the 49ers. Now we saw them, what they did against the Packers last year. And every time we're ready to count Jimmy Garoppolo out, he seems to um, overcome our expectations. The, the only thing he has not done yet is win a Super Bowl as the starting quarterback for a team. But this team, as long as he's healthy, is more than capable of coming out of the NFC. Now, the thing that they've got to worry about is, like I said, the travel and in all likelihood going to having to play Minnesota and play Philadelphia. But I think their defense is going to be more then up for that challenge. All right, we're going to take one last break here, come back on the other side, and close things out for this week. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. talking about Thanksgiving early, and one of the things I was thankful for this year is that even with all of the nonsense that's gone on with the Brooklyn Nets, whether it be Kyrie Irving's crap or Kevin Durant requesting a trade this offseason, and, you know, whatever goes on with Ben Simmons on a daily basis. At least I have one of, as what I refer to it, one of the other children, as far as my sports fandom, doing well. Because I've always told you, it's the Yankees and then the Jets that are the two top teams when it comes to my rooting interests that you know affect my emotions 
sometimes worse than they should uh, on a day-in, day-out basis. And then I take what I can get from the other two teams, that being the Nets and the New Jersey Devils. But the Devils are off to an amazing start this season. Now, a season that I thought that they had a shot at being a playoff contender because I've watched these young players that they've had for the last several years start to grow, start to uh, come of age. But I did not think we were going to be looking at one of the NHL's best teams this season in the Devils. And that's what they've looked like so far. After... They were passed up on by Johnny Gaudreau in the offseason. There was some disappointment by Devils fans. Some fans felt that they did not have as strong an offseason as they potentially could have. But who cares? You look at this team. They're, they've won 18 of their first 22 games. They have the second best record in the conference behind the Boston Bruins. They lead the... Metropolitan uh, Division by six points with 36 right now. And they've been on a crazy run since the first couple of weeks of the season, winning 15 of their last 16 games. Remember, early in the year when they started 3-3, three and three, there were fans chanting at the Prudential Center, fire Lindy Ruff. And now, you know, fans are apologizing at the games, wanting to throw bouquets because the team won 15 of the last 16, just came off of a 13-game winning streak with a 2-1 loss to the Maple Leafs last Wednesday night and have bounced back with back-to-back wins over the weekend. And during, during that stretch, they weren't just winning games. They were kicking teams' asses. They outscored the opposition 56-24 to 24 in uh, that 13-game um, run there. And like I said, a lot of this team is young. Especially, you know, you have three stars that are coming of age on this team. You know, Hughes and Heischer at, at center. And then Jasper Bratt, who Jasper Bratt is probably one of the great examples to be patient with a young player. Because we first saw this guy, what, about five years ago when he was 18, 19 years old. And he didn't look like he truly had a role yet. He didn't look like, oh, people were wondering, oh, why is he up here playing? Shouldn't he be uh, down in uh, the minor leagues, getting more experience. And he was kind of jumping back and forth between uh, the NHL and uh, their uh, development league. But last year was a big breakout year for him when he had 73 points. This year, he's already got 25 points in the first 22 games of the season. Been one of the best left wings in the sport. You mix that with some of the other young guys they have on this team. And they only have two guys that are over 30 years old on this roster. One of them being one of the wise pickups that they made during the offseason and bringing in Brendan Smith, who has been kind of that enforcer, been that guy saying, hey, I'm not going to let the other team take cheap shots at our top guys. He he gets in there, get, does all the gritty, 
grinded out, dirty kind of stuff there that you need on a team. You need that guy that's going to hold the opposition accountable and know that, hey, we're not going to put up with any BS against our young stars here. And he's uh, filled that role for them. And even with them getting the job done uh, offensively, they've got a great goaltending. The, the, you know, getting Vanek uh, uh, in here at, at goalie ha- has done wonders. Even with him missing a little time with injury, his uh, uh, backup, Schmid, has filled in very nicely. Both guys amongst uh, the NHL leaders in uh, goals allowed per game. That's what's helped this team be in uh, first place in the division, second in the East. And listen, they're not going to go out there and have a some kind of historic 150-point you know, season. At some point during the year, I expect there to be some kind of lull. But this has... This start here has put them in a position where when that lull comes, where they lose, you know, seven out of ten games, it puts them in a position where they have a little bit of breathing room, where they're not concerned and wondering, oh, is the floor falling out beneath us? Realizing that, all right, they've built themselves a good start here, good starting point here, so that when this stretch that they're on calms down and they play, play, you know, 500 hockey for a 20-game stretch there that they won't be too, too concerned here. I mean, it's really it really has been fun to watch, and we'll get the chance to continue watching it the next uh, week here where they got the Rangers uh, tonight at the Garden. Then uh, they come back home to play the Predators on Thursday before – going into Philadelphia on Saturday and hopefully beating down the Flyers so badly that Gritty wants to quit his job. That would be phenomenal. What a what a Thanksgiving gift, uh, early Christmas gift it, that would be if they beat up the Flyers so badly on Saturday that Gritty wants to retire. Not likely, but hey, we can hope. And now finally, tonight is going to be the final reveal as far as the regular season is concerned when it comes to the college football playoff. And there's a, there's a lot up for grabs when it comes to this final week here, the conference championship week, because tonight's poll is going to be very telling when it comes to what this committee is thinking. Are they going to go with more deserving or what's the better matchup? What's going to bring more viewers to the TV set? Because you had a couple of teams that were officially knocked out of the running this week with LSU and Clemson. LSU, it doesn't matter if they shocked the world and beat Georgia in the SEC title game on Saturday. There is no chance in hell they're putting a three-win team in the conference, in the college football playoff, even if that three-loss team is the SEC champion. No chance in, in hell. And Clemson, you know, you can't go to South Carolina and, and play like that kind of garbage and still expect to make the college football playoff. I and mean, the, the only reason this game 
was even competitive is the fact that Spencer Ratliff kept uh, Spencer Rattler, excuse me, kept throwing interceptions in the red zone. Other than that, now you got nothing offensively uh, out of this team. And remember, earlier this year, Dabo benched his quarterback, and there's probably a, a reason behind that that. He's not as good of a prospect as we once thought he was. He's certainly not in the category of a Deshaun Watson or a Trevor Lawrence. And now they're going to be on the outside looking in as well. So now you're looking at a situation where it's four teams for two spots. Because, you know, Georgia held up its end of the bargain in beating Texas Tech, beating them down. And no matter what happens in the SEC title game, they're in. It's just a matter of if they're one or two. Michigan, in all likelihood, they're in. Because for the second straight year, they beat Ohio State. And this year, they went to the horseshoe and kicked their ass. No, just they, they played as damn near mistake-free football as you could possibly play and ran it right down Ohio State's throat for 60 minutes. So they're going to the Big Ten title game, and they're in. The question remains, who's getting those final two spots? And it's between TCU, USC, Ohio State, and yes, Alabama. Alabama is back in the conversation, the fact that they've won out all of their games. Now, what's going to hurt them is the fact that they lost to LSU, and LSU just lost to Texas A&M, who's had a disappointing season in their own right, but got to spoil someone else's chance at the big party uh, on the way out. But Alabama... You know, the problem they face is they don't have, you know, that big time win on their schedule that some of these other teams, especially, you know, a USC has. USC, their win over Notre Dame becomes more impressive now after what Notre Dame did to Clemson a couple weeks ago. The fact that Notre Dame had a representable season after what was kind of a slow, sluggish start. And... The easy thing here for this committee is if TCU and USC win the Pac-12 and Big 12 championship games, respectively, they're in. They'll be in and go up against uh, some order of Georgia and Michigan. But let's say that there's some chaos this weekend. Let's say TCU were to lose or let's say that uh, what I think it would be more likely USC fell to uh, Utah on Friday night. Who's going to be that first one to step up and grab one of those spots. And we're going to see what the committee is thinking in that based on how they rank Ohio state and Alabama at five and six, they're going to be those, those five and six spots. It's just a matter of does Alabama's win in the Iron Bowl along with how bad Ohio State looked in the game on Saturday 
against Michigan, getting their doors blown off at home in the second half, does that loss combined with Alabama winning out put their, them with two losses and not an impressive win on their schedule ahead of Ohio State? We're going to be fascinated to watch. Now, personally, I'm hoping that there is no chaos this week because you know, I always love to see Nick Saban whine and complain. But it's going to be fun to watch Saturday night, Friday night, all of this, seeing how this plays out. Like I said, we know Georgia and Michigan are going to be in. It's just a matter of who is getting those other two spots. And no, I didn't make a, a big deal about the Odell Beckham thing because you know, I, I read the reports about how he was taken off uh, his airplane yesterday morning. To me, you know, it's not like he was, as far as we know, there's no reports of him doing drugs. There's no reports of him being heavily intoxicated while on that plane. And it wasn't like he was getting in fights with the police officers and having to be detained or arrested. They were more concerned about his health and safety based on the way he looked when he was sleeping. So I hope that there's nothing <laughs> wrong with him and that we get him back in the NFL soon, whether it's with the Cowboys or the Giants. The more concerning thing I saw from yesterday is I think that the Green Bay Packers need to put Aaron Rodgers on ice for the rest of the season. I know that they are on, you know, still in playoff contention. They're they're sitting there at four and eight and technically have not been eliminated yet, but they would have to jump over four teams to get a playoff spot here. They would have to jump over Detroit, Atlanta, and at least two of Washington or Seattle and the Giants to get in a playoff spot. And that's not going to happen. You see this defense is banged up. These wide receivers outside the kid Watson have not been that impressive. And Rodgers is out there playing with a bad thumb on his thrown hand and now got this oblique thing for you know, the future of your franchise and for his own well-being. And who knows? He may decide to call a day this offseason. We never know what's running through this guy's mind. But for the, the betterment of the future of this team, they should play Jordan Love for the rest of the year. Because see what you have in this kid. And even if Rodgers decides that he's playing again next year, doesn't decide to retire or there's not a team that comes knocking down your door with some insane package to trade for the end of Aaron Rodgers' career, maybe you can find someone that's dopey enough to trade you something of value for Jordan Love. We know how hard it is to find quarterbacks in this sport, and there's a plenty going to be plenty of teams looking for a quarterback at the end of this year. Maybe you fool one of them like Seattle was once upon a time by Matt Flynn, but yeah, he just he just does not look right still being out there. He he 
got it physically taken to him last night against uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, a lot of it was on their defense getting run all over. But for his sake, but for his sake and the sake of the Packers franchise, Aaron Rodgers should not take another snap for them this season. And that, my friends, was keeping it sports with M3 from Monday, November 28th, 2022. Everyone, please have a great night. Have a fun, safe, happy, enjoyable week. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.